0: good morning uh everyone uh good morning redeemer bible church and uh you know it's such a joy and privilege uh again to be here with you and to fellowship with you and uh uh to preach god's word and uh so i would like to invite you again uh to open up your bible uh to this passage in romans 12 uh verses one to two and uh, if you can all stand up again uh in honor of god's word and uh, if you have, I think, uh, some outline there that I uh, brought uh, and read with me in silence, this uh, wonderful passage that you may be familiar with um, in Romans 12, 1-2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father God, through the work of your Spirit in the life of Paul, you allowed Paul to write these very words in Scripture exhorting us to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice that is acceptable to you father i pray that this morning that we will understand what your word means from these passages father i pray that you give me the utterance to speak not of my wisdom but only of the truth that comes from you alone. And Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for growing this church family here at Redeemer Bible Church, Lord. And Father, may everything we do this morning give you glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may take a seat. So as we know, brothers and sisters, you know, we could name a lot of... uh, men and men in the Bible like Paul, like Stephen, and even those early Christians uh, after, during Pentecost when Peter was preaching the gospel and 3,000 new converts were uh, brought to Christ. And we saw how they were all in for Christ. They were communing. They were fellowshipping. They were going house to house to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were breaking bread together. We see Stephen, who died in the hands of lawless men, but was was never afraid of dying for the sake of the gospel. We know Paul, who used to be probably the the biggest uh, terrorist during that time, because he was killing Christians. That was his purpose. He wanted to kill Christians. But the moment Jesus Christ saved him, his life was turned upside down radically. And he committed himself to be the greatest evangelist to the Gentile world. My friends, do you even wonder why those people, 2,000 years ago, that their lives were all sold out for Christ, and now 2,000 years later, all of us here who are christians who are saved by the same spirit that saved paul that saved those christians in the early church but why is it right now our life as christians may not be never but may not be totally sold out for christ do you ever wonder that my friends when the people with the Pharisee and teachers asked Jesus what is the greatest commandment. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Jesus did not say, love God with half of your heart, with half of your mind, with half of your soul. But He said, love God with all your heart. So let me ask you this morning, brothers and sisters, how committed are you to the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ? How is it with your soul today? What are you living for? What consumes you every single day? What dominates your mind, your ears, your hands, your heart every single day? I think far more important than how long you lived is the depth of your life and the influence and the impact you have in this life for the cause of the gospel. You know, my friends, sometimes I think, this, I think about this, that I think it is better for you and I to die at a young age and living a life fully committed to Jesus Christ, a life that is spent and sold out for God, than to live 90 years in this earth, living a life that is totally wasted because you and I only lived. ourselves the gospel writer luke in chapter 9 verse 23 wrote and jesus said he was saying to them all jesus said this if anyone wishes to come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me There needs to be that denial of self for us to be true followers and worshipers of Jesus Christ. But most of the time, ourselves become a barrier in our relationship with God. So my friends, as we hear from God's Word this morning, from these two short but rich verses, my prayer is that we will truly understand what Paul was telling his readers 2,000 years ago and its implication to us 2,000 years later. These first two verses of chapter 12 gives us some insight into the area of our walk with God that we must never overlook. These verses in chapter 12 tell us how genuine worship and total commitment to Christ should look like in the life of a believer. So point number one, the reason for our worship. The reason for our worship So if you look at again in your Bible, in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul starts that verse with a conjunction, therefore. And every time we see that conjunction, therefore, my friends, it should cause us to look into the previous passages and ask ourselves this question. What is therefore, therefore, right? Because it's a connecting word. It means that when he started chapter 12 with that, Conjunction, therefore, it should cause us, what is Paul trying to say here? Most of of the time we see and look at the passage in the preceding chapter in chapter 11. But most scholars of the Pauline epistles would say that the conjunction, therefore, here, Paul is actually starting off because he wants to prove an argument that he started off in the very first chapter In the epistle of Romans. Here he starts it again in verse 1 Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. The word urge there in the original Greek language denotes to make an appeal or to make a request. It is not a command, but it kind of denotes a strong word of exhortation or encouragement. So when somebody appeals to you, it almost tells you that I'm not giving an option, my friend. So in the same way here too, Paul is not putting options for us and for his readers, but to encourage us and making an appeal to us to live in this way and pleading us to fully surrender our life to Jesus Christ. And he directs the urging to us. He said, I urge you, brethren, He he, he directs the exhortation to us, believers, people who are chosen by God since eternity past. Those whom God loves that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The brethren who already committed their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The moment of our saving faith, we made that profession of faith to God to repent from our sins and turn to Jesus Christ. We committed a life that is supposed to be a life that is sold out for Jesus because our allegiance is now with Jesus Christ. The same way Paul urges the brethren before, he makes that appeal. And look at now in verse 1, and here's the appeal. Are you ready? Here is now the request and the reason why he's appealing to the brethren to live our lives fully committed to worship the Lord. And he said, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. This is the reason, brothers and sisters, that Paul is making an appeal to you and me today. And the mercies of God here refers to the entirety of the saving grace of God that has brought about our eternal salvation. In reality, that's why Paul starts verse 1 with this conjunction, therefore, because Paul wants us to look back at the first 11 chapters of Romans, where he reminds us of who we were before Christ. What Christ did to us and who we are now in Jesus Christ. And even in the preceding chapter, in chapter 11, towards the end of that chapter, Paul already alluded to the mercy of God. Look at Romans eleven thirty 30-32. Paul said, For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So this also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that He may show mercy to all. My friends, God is a merciful God. And that is why Paul is... Urging us and appealing us to fully commit our lives to God. We know this in these wonderful epistles in Romans that from Romans chapter 1 to 3, Paul tells us and describes the sinfulness of humanity that no one is good, that no one seeks after God, that all of humanity falls short of the glory of God. And for you, our Christians, this is who. You were before Christ saved you. We all deserve the wrath of God, right? And then in chapter 5, Paul tells us that God demonstrated his love for us. That yet while we were sinners. Imagine that. God demonstrated his love for us while yet we were sinners. God did not wait for us to come to him or to seek him because we can never do that. But in His mercy and grace, Christ died for us, sinners. Christ became poor so that through Him we became rich. For our sakes, God made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we become the righteousness of God in Him. My friends, do you get the depth of this truth? Do you and I remember who we were? And if not for the mercy of God, where could we be right now? I invite you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10. to 10. This is actually one of my favorite passages to show to people the mercy of God and even to fully explain. So if you're looking for a good passage to fully explain the gospel, this is the, this is the I, I, I think this is the best passage in the New Testament that fully explains the gospel and shows the mercy of God to any stranger, unbeliever that you can come across with. So read with me in Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And are you ready? Verse 5. What does it say there? But God, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Wow! Right? He was telling those early Christians the church in Ephesus, you were formerly like this. You were children of wrath. You were walking like dead zombies. You were dead in your transgressions, in your sin. But God, who is rich in mercy, saved you. Isn't that amazing, my friends? That's the same thing that Paul is telling us in Romans 12 verse 1. That Paul is appealing us because by the mercies of God, that's the reason why we worship Him. So now, my friends, consider now how your life has been changed. You used to be a slave of sin. You used to be conformed to this world. My friends, consider what you have become because of what Christ has done, is doing in your life. Now you've become a child of God. We as a church, Redeemer Bible Church, now is a royal priesthood for God's own possession. We know that God causes all things together to work for your good and for His glory. At this very moment while we are sitting here, God is sovereignly orchestrating everything for your good and for His glory isn't that wonderful, my friends? Isn't that an amazing truth? And what you have become and are becoming is because of the sovereign mercies of God in your life. And Paul, again here in verse 1, is urging and appealing to you and me that by the mercies of God to live this way. Now, all I want to remind you this truth. That if who God is and what He has done to you and by His abundant grace and mercy in your life are not enough reasons for you to worship and love Him with all your being, mind, soul, and strength, then you may not be His child. Be sure of that. If who God is does not excite you every day, To live a fully committed life in spite of this lost and dying world. If who God is doesn't excite you, then nothing will excite you, my friends. No amount of ministry, no amount of Bible study, no amount of church service, no amount of church activity will cause your heart to want to live for Christ. It should be God, it should be who He is, it should be His character, His mercies of saving you from the wrath that should motivate you and I to live in obedience to Christ. So let me ask you here, brothers and sisters, if you honestly look into your life now, are you truly motivated by the mercies of God and the grace of God demonstrated in your life through Jesus Christ? Are you overwhelmed? Are you saturated? Are you filled in every part of your body that you want to live a fully committed life to Christ. So again, as Paul appeals to the brethren here, to us, by the mercies of God, he not only gives us the reason to worship, to commit our lives to God, but also he gives us, in point number two, the requirement to worship. The requirement to worship. So now Paul calls us to live our lives in a particular way. I mean, read with me in the end of verse 1, he said, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, the entire picture here that Paul is talking about is Old Testament sacrifice. You know, we know that during Old Testament, the sacrificial system there is when an animals is killed and the priest goes to the Holy of Holies and this dead animal is Uh, presented the altar and offered to God, right? Which becomes now the sweet aroma to God. And we know this was all symbolic for the atonement of the sins of the Jews. But we know when Jesus Christ came, the end of the sacrificial uh, system came to an end. The veil was torn. Christ became the perfect Lamb of God who is the only mediator between God and man. So, why is Paul telling us to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice? Because now, as believers, as people that are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we now constitute a royal priesthood. Because we are bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and we can now have direct access to God. We can now come before the throne of grace, not to offer indulgences or our good deeds, so that we may be saved, because Jesus Christ has already finished that work on the cross for us. But we can now come to the throne of grace so that we can freely offer our lives to God. And this is what exactly Paul is telling us here in verse 1. Paul is telling us to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Even that verb present here is not a command, it's not an imperative. But it was emphatically said by Paul, that's why it denotes a kind of imperative to us. To present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice is the kind of worship that God demands from us. Let me repeat that, brothers and sisters. To present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice is the only kind of worship that God demands from us. Again, this verb, present here, denotes to turn over to or to put at someone's disposal. Right, So it's like, You know, you tell God, Lord, here I am. I am your possession. I'm not even my own possession. Use me at your disposal. That is what Paul is appealing here, to present your body. So it means to give our bodies supremely to God. To present your bodies is to represent the totality of who we are and what we are. From head to foot, we should be totally sold out To Jesus Christ. Do you get this my friends? From head to foot. We should be entirely sold out to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's here. To present your bodies. A living and holy sacrifice. So if Paul is telling us. That truth. We are to give him our minds. What we feed our thoughts with. Ask yourselves. Do you think of pure thoughts? Is your mind bent? on thinking about lustful things. We are to give Him our eyes, what we look upon, what we gaze, what we see. Does our eyes seek to see and marvel at His power or do we marvel more at His creation? What TV shows or movies do you like to watch? We are to give Him our ears, what we listen to, what we like to hear. Is our ears more inclined to listen to God's truth or are we more interested in listening to gossip, to hearsay, to false truth, to half truths, We are to give Him our mouth, what we say and what we speak. Is our speech characterized by, the, by blessing or edifying others? Or is it characterized or inclined to cuss or hurt someone? Are we excited to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or do we keep our mouth shut because we don't want to offend a friend or a family member? We are to give Him our hands. What do we lay our hands on? Does our hands work for the glory of God or for our personal gain? And we are to give Him our feet. Where do you go? Do you pursue a life in the direction that God wants you to go? Or do you follow your own desires and ambitions in life? Paul urges us by the mercies of God to present our bodies, our totality. This is what's required of us if we are to worship God and to fully commit our lives to Him. God doesn't only want a part of us, my friends. He doesn't want our leftovers, right? I mean, sometimes probably leftovers are better than the main dish, right? If we have nothing to eat at home. But God doesn't want our leftovers. He wants our entire body. You know, in the Old Testament, the priests were offering dead animals. But in the New Covenant, God demands from us our lives, our entire living bodies. From the moment God saves us, we are to exchange all that we are for all who God is. There is no partial commitment in God's economy. If I can encourage you, my friends... If God gave up His only begotten Son, Jesus' entire body nailed to that cross, beaten, spit upon, mocked, scourged, every ounce of His blood shed on that cross so that we can have forgiveness of our sins. Don't you think that the only proper response to God to worship Him is to present our entire being, right? Our mind, soul, and strength, our entire being should be the only proper response because Christ gave it all to us. And Paul continues here that aside from presenting our living bodies to God, we are to be set apart, a living and holy sacrifice. We are to be set apart from this world system that is dominated by greed, by licentiousness, sexual immorality, hatred, pride, lust. We are to be set apart from the filthiness of this world. And Paul said that if we fully commit our entire being, living and set apart, then it becomes acceptable to God. That's what he says here. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Other offerings, my friends, is not acceptable to God. If we are not offering our entire being, it is not acceptable to God. The only way we live our life that is acceptable to God is to live a life that is radically all in and fully committed to Jesus Christ. And this is not an option. This is not an option for every Christian, but this is the kind of worship that God demands from each one of us. But sometimes it's even sad because most Christians can have a very warped view of worship, right? Most Christians think that worship happens on Sundays alone. No, that, that worship is about the music when we sing songs, when we praise God through our singing. Brothers and sisters, if you want to know and understand what the Bible says about worship, you're actually looking right at it in this passage. That's what biblical worship means. It's not about the singing. It's just a means. but It's not about the singing. Now let me remind you this. If how you live your life and your worship pleases Christ, it will not matter who you displease. And if you live your life displeasing God, it doesn't matter who you please in this life. The only thing that matters, my friends, is this. Is your life acceptable to God? Is your daily worship acceptable to God? That is the requirement that God demands from us. So let me challenge all of you here, Redeemer Bible Church. Is your life now totally sold out, all in, fully committed to Christ? If it is not, then it's not acceptable to God. Be sure of this. That's what the text says here. That's what the text says here. That is not my philosophy. But I know that all of us including me, will never do this perfectly. But God knows our motivation and our heart and He cannot be mocked upon. So here, by presenting our bodies a living and holy sacrifice, Paul is simply telling us here, does our practice match our position in Christ? It's the same argument Paul makes in his epistles in, in Colossians and Ephesians, right? Where usually the first half of the epistles talks about our position in Christ, and the last half of those epistles talks about our, our, our practice of, of what we should do as Christians and what God demands from us. So I hope, my friends, that we truly understand the seriousness of this if we truly call ourselves Christians. Then at the end of verse 1, Paul said, to present your body as a sacrifice, as a holy living sacrifice, which is what? Your spiritual service of worship. Oh man, this is this is so good and so rich in truth because that adjective "spiritual," actually from the original Greek language, is called "logikos." That's where we we, we get our English word "logical," or lot, or irrational, right? Which means that by presenting our entire being, our entire body as a living holy sacrifice, this is. The only rational and reasonable worship that is theres there's no other option right that other than that it is irrational it is illogical it is it's the same way to us when 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 you add two plus two is four, you can say two plus two is five because that's irrational. It is the same way too here that the That when we present our bodies as a living holy sacrifice, that is the only logical worship to God that is acceptable to Him. Paul is telling us here there's only one rational means of worship and that is according to what God demands from us and not we think how we should worship God. Because most of the time, sometimes it's up to us how we worship God. Oh, should I read my Bible? Should I love my wife? Should I love my husband? Or should I love those who who you know who, who, who don't love me? The only rational means of worship, brothers and sisters, is, is what God demands from us. This is the only logical response from a life that has been totally changed by the mercies of God. So let's continue in verse 2. Point number 3 the renewal needed in worship. So look at the first half of verse 2. Paul continues, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, what Paul is telling us here is that if we want to present our body as a living holy sacrifice, and for our sacrifice to be acceptable to God, There should be a renewal, there should be a transformation that should be happening in our lives. And it starts, Paul emphatically emphasized here, it starts in our mind. At the beginning of verse 2, there are two imperatives or commands here. One, a negative command, and the other one, a positive command. So let's first take a look at the first command, which is the negative command. Paul said, do not be conformed. Conform in the regional language means to be molded or stamped according to a pattern. I mean, for those of you here who love to draw or mold clay or art, you follow a certain pattern, right? To be able to kind of all, almost get that same you know, mold that you want to you wanna emulate or imitate. That's exactly what Paul is telling us here. He's telling us not to let the world mold our life, our thinking, and how we behave. So in other words, Paul is kind of asking us, are you influencing the world? Or is the world influencing you? Paul is not telling us here to isolate ourselves from the world, but merely to insulate ourselves, right? Because he said, do not be conformed to what? To this world. We know the Bible talks about that we are in this world, but not of the world. That's very important, brothers and sisters. Because we know that even though that we are saved by the grace of God, we even know that we still live in this loss and, and, and this, this sinful dead body, right? That's why we still sin. How much, more, how much more the world around us that do not know Christ. We live in this lost and dying world and we are ought to fulfill the duties and obligations that God has given us to be ambassadors of the gospel. So, we should not isolate ourselves. But he commands us to not be molded, to not be influenced by this world system. And yet, most of the time, we Christians isolate ourselves from this world. I've seen it. You know what? You know, I I have nothing against homeschooling. I actually praise God for moms who do it, sacrifice to do it. But what I can tell you, Homeschooling your kids is not an assurance that your kids will walk according to the ways of the Lord. Or if you choose to send your kids in public school, it's not, you know, almost like a, an assurance that, oh, your, your child will grow to be defiant and disobedient someday. Or if you send your college kid to a Christian school, it doesn't mean that they'll be walking in the Lord. That's why Paul tells us here. Do not be conformed, do not be influenced, do not be molded into this evil system, but insulate yourself against the world system. That's why the second command kind of addresses that one, right? And here the verb, do not be conformed, is in the present tense, meaning it should be a continuous action that we should be doing All the time, day by day, moment by moment, we should not be molded into the pattern and influence of this present evil age. We are not to buy into the world's philosophy and secular perspective that is characterized by a man-centered religion. This world caters to self. It caters to the desires of the flesh. We know now same-sex marriage and transgender is a norm in society. But we are not to isolate from those people. Instead, we need to reach out to them. But we will never agree with how they practice their lives. We know that this world system is filled with unrighteousness, with wickedness, greed, evil, murder, strife, deceit, gossipers, haters of God, arrogance, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents. We don't want to become a people that Paul describes in Romans 1.32. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Instead, let us become a people described by the psalmist in Psalm 1 verses 1 to 3. Psalmist said, I love this passage. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day by day, day by night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. So let me ask each one of you here, my friends, are you becoming and behaving more like this world? Or are you becoming more like Jesus Christ? Are you being influenced by this evil world system? Or is the world being influenced and drawn to Christ because of your behavior and how you live your life amidst unbelievers, daily fully surrendered to Jesus Christ and for the cause of the gospel? Are you presenting your body a living and holy sacrifice that is acceptable to God? Are you presenting your body to the wants of Satan because you fear man more than you fear God? The gospel writer Matthew says in chapter 10 verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but are able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul in hell and body in hell. The command to not be conformed to this world is in the middle or passive voice. It means that you have to act upon this. This doesn't happen naturally. You have to act upon it, but God has to do it through you. So you have to be dependent and obedient to God day by day, moment by moment. You are responsible and God is totally sovereign. So the second command in verse 2 here, after he said, do not be conformed to this world. The second command is a positive imperative here. Paul said, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the verb transform here in the original language is metamorpho. That's where we get our English word metamorphosis, right? It, become, it means to become or to be changed into a different form. So when a caterpillar transforms itself to a butterfly, or a tadpole changes to a fully formed frog, that is total transformation. Metamorphosis is not just an upgraded version of your of the older version, right? So it doesn't mean that used to before you had used to have an older, rundown Honda Civic, and now you have a new, brand new Tesla, because in that situation, both is still what a car. But to be transformed denotes that you've been radically changed into a different form, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. Paul is not talking about external change, but internal transformation brought about by heart that's been radically changed by God. From having a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, from being slaves to sin, you are now slaves to righteousness. Righteousness. To be transformed is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Listen to this, the word of God, brothers and sisters. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, that's a statement of fact, he is a new creature. The old things pass away, behold, new things have come. A genuine Christian is a different person, not externally, but internally. That's why you won't be surprised if what you do, what you say amidst people who are not believers is totally different from what they do or how they act. Don't be shocked. That should be the norm of our lives, right? That we should be different from this world and yet we're called to reach out to them. But there's that daily renewal, that daily transformation That's why the the command here, the verb of be transformed is in the present tense. It means it's it's an ongoing transformation. It's not a one-time deal. That's why those who are in Christ are progressively sanctified into the image of Jesus Christ. And see, the passive voice means that God, again, has to do it through you. And all we can do is to surrender our life to the Holy Spirit. And day by day, we have to be dependent and obedient to Him. Again, lastly, my friends, this is a command. It's not an option. It is a command that we should joyfully desire to follow and to want to follow even if we don't do it perfectly. So that's a requirement, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And I want you to look at this because Paul emphasizes that we are to be transformed by what? By the renewing of our minds. Paul has really put the emphasis on our minds because he knows that what we feed our mind does affect our heart. And from our heart, it affects our will or our behavior. Mind controls our affection, right? Affection controls the will. What comes to our mind affects our heart. It governs how we act or how we behave. I mean, Paul truly understands How important it is for our minds to be renewed day by day. Before Christ, men were opposed to the truth. They had a depraved mind. I mean, look at again from the beginning of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verse 28, Paul said, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to what? To a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. So how do we renew our mind? That's what Paul says here but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, it's only through the knowledge of the truth, through the knowledge of God's Word. You can renew your mind by saturating yourself daily with godly thinking, by reading God's Word every day. That's why, brothers and sisters, don't expect your life to grow and mature into Christ-likeness if you're not even in the Word every single day. A lot of people think that you can get away with it. This is day by day, present moment by moment. Only through God's Word that is living and active and sharpened a two-edged sword can we be sanctified. And that's even Jesus' prayer. Before He died in John 17, 17, He said, Jesus said, Sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. It is in the knowledge of the truth that shapes our entire inner person. There's no other that grows us, but only through the Word of God. That's why Paul tells here to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And lastly, point number four, the result of our worship. The result of our worship. So after Paul just told us and urges us by the mercies of God to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship, and then he commands us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is so good, my friends. I hope you get we, we all get really the truth of what Paul is telling here that this is what happens. This is the result if we do all these things. This is the result when we come and surrender to Christ and say, Lord, here I am. I want to live for eternity. I want to live for what matters most to you, O God, and not what matters to me. And this is the result that happens. Paul says at the end of verse 2, so that, right, so that, it's a purpose clause, so that, you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And the word prove here, brothers and sisters, is not just an intellectual you know, knowledge, to just to not know it intellectually, but it means that you will come to experience it. You will come to live this way, and this will be part of the reality in your life. It is not just merely knowing God, but you will come to really live it out that you will really live out the will of God in your life. Being sold out for Christ, solely committed to Him, is the only way that you and I will know God's perfect will for us. This is what the text says, right? Remember in verse 1, and this is what I love about this passage, because in verse 1, when we present our bodies, a living, our entire being, it is acceptable to God, Right? But if we don't conform to this world but we are renewed day by day we are transformed day by day into the image of God then we get to know the perfect will of God that is good and acceptable to us. We become the recipient of what God is doing in our lives. That's why most of the time Christians ask themselves for many years man brother I I don't know what what is, the, what is God's will for me? I've been in church for 20 years and I'm, I'm still searching for it. And you know what, my friends? The reason why people struggle to know God's will in their lives, it is because they are not sold out for Christ. They don't present every answer they're being to Him. They're not transformed daily to Christ's likeness That's why they get stuck being a baby Christian. Right? That's why the... the the, the caterpillar had to be transformed to a butterfly for it to be a fully formed adult butterfly. That's why people who, who still struggle understanding God's will in their life still you know remain in that baby, immature life because they're not sold out for Christ. So I want you to take a look at the three descriptions that Paul uses here in verse 2. Good. It means that, you know, the will that we experience in life you know, will be the greatest blessing and satisfaction that you could ever experience in your life. It will lead to your spiritual good. It will lead to your spiritual maturity for your own good and for God's glory. Acceptable meaning that whatever you experience in life when you surrender your life to Christ fully it's acceptable to you. You will find pleasure in doing God's will in your life. You will find joy in being obedient to Him. You will find contentment in being sold out for Jesus. And it's perfect. Because you know what? Whatever path you and I pursue, it's always going to be imperfect. Only God's will for you and I is perfect and complete. So my friends, every one of us at this moment ought to respond to the truth of what God is telling us in these verses. We should come before the Lord and you know, tell the Lord, Lord, I want to fully commit my life to you. Lord, I don't want to give you my leftovers. Lord, I don't want to give you only a part of my being. But Lord, I want to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, I want to exchange all that I am for all that you are. And brothers and sisters, if we truly want to worship God, let us fully commit an entire being to Jesus Christ so that we can fully experience His perfect will in our lives. True worship requires total commitment to God. As Christians, we are commanded to surrender our lives fully to God. Here, here's three my three key takeaways that I just want to leave with all of you here. Again, are you fully committed to the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ? Are you? Be honest to God. If you are not, come before the Lord, repent, surrender your life to God, ask God. By the power of His Spirit to help you? Second, does the mercy of God in your life compel you to be dependent and obedient to Him day by day? Is who God is enough to excite you day by day, to be contented, to love God with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength? And third, are you more conformed to this world or to Christ's likeness Again, this truth will never make sense if any one of you here is not in Christ. But for those who are genuine Christians, I urge you, just as Paul urges us in his letter, to present your body a living and holy sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not isolate yourself from this world, but insulate yourself. And day by day, be transformed, be renewed through the Word of God so that you may experience the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So would you come to that place with God now, my friends? Remember this. Only one life, and it soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, asking for forgiveness of oh God. If we have lived our life not fully surrendered to you, not fully committed to you, but Lord, we, we know that we need you day by day, moment by moment. So Father, I pray that You continue to grow us, to mold us, to become like Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, by the power of Your Spirit in us, transform our thinking, Lord. Transform our, our hearts, our entire being. That in all that we do, Father, we are spent for You. Lord, give us Minds and hearts, eyes to see, ears to hear, Father, that we seek You first, that we seek Your kingdom first, and not ourselves, not our own selfish desires. Lord, thank You, Father, that You have been merciful to us, that You've been gracious to us. May that be enough reason, Lord, that as your child as your children as your church we totally commit our lives to you and fully surrender to you thank you god for this time that we can gather together and father pray that our time together was pleasing to you and be the glory and praise and honor only be to you this we pray in jesus name amen